Well, welcome. It's good to have you here to worship with us today. And we're walking through this series thinking about what our next step should be. Uh, if you've ever been in that place where you don't know what's coming next and you wonder how in the world am I going to be ready to navigate it, I have a story for you. I was in high school in Africa and I was with a group of my friends, there were three or four of us, and we decided we were going to just do a little bit of exploring and we went outside of the town where we lived and, and we had been uh, enjoying a nice summer day. We were out of school, we were on school vacation and uh, we were walking alongside what in the United States we would call a, a crick, right? They don't have cricks in Africa. It was a stream. But we were walking alongside, and there was a bridge that was over the stream, and uh, we were coming up to the bridge and decided we would use the bridge to cross the stream to go to the other side. But the, the grass alongside of the stream and approaching the bridge was really tall. It was about waist high for us, and we were in high school, so it was pretty tall grass. And as we were walking along, the guy that was in front suddenly jumped really high and sort of did this gyrating and jumped up onto the bridge. And you could tell that something had gotten his attention and scared him, and so we kind of stopped and we laughed a little bit about what was that. And right away, he turned around and he said, there's a snake there. Now, that is a surefire way to get your attention. At least mine. And I had the misfortune of being the last guy in line. And so one of the other guys said, oh, I see it. And he jumped and did a little bit of a dance and got up onto the bridge. And the third guy said, which way should I go? And they said, well, go, go that way. And so he walked a little ways and he went around and... I started to come forward, and then they said, oh, there he is, and they started pointing, and the pointing moved. And you got three guys standing on a bridge pointing, and they're all kind of pointing in different directions, and I'm looking at them, and they're not really helpful, and I'm not sure whether to go left or go right or forward, and I go, where do I go? What should I do? And then finally one of them said, just stay right there. That is not where I wanted to be. And yeah, don't move. Just stay right there. And then we were all high school boys. All these guys up on the bridge started getting out their knives. And all these pocket knives come out, unfolded, and then they said, stay right there. Don't, don't move. And I go, no, no, I want to be up on the bridge with you. Or at least that's what was in my heart. I'm not sure I was able to articulate it at that point. But I, I had no idea which way to move. And then they started throwing their knives at the snake. Which to me is like, hey, let's see if we can irritate you so you bite Hink. And by this point, you know, my blood pressure's so high, my blood's about squirting out my ears. But I had no idea which way to go. I had no idea. I knew that what was ahead of me was dangerous and that they were trying to guide me, but they weren't very helpful. And I just thought in that moment that my friends are going to be responsible for my death and destruction. By the grace of God, an act of divine intervention, one of my friends that pulled out his knife threw that knife and he stuck it right through that snake. I don't think he could have done that again with a thousand tries. And they go, we got it, we got it. And they were jumping around and, you know, and finally we came up on it and sure enough the snake is writhing in death and 
then it wasn't any question as to where I was going to go. I was just going to go out of the tall grass. That was it. Well, sometimes in life we wonder about where to go next because we recognize that there's danger all around us. If I take a step to the left or I take a step to the right, I could get hurt. I could even be destroyed. If I take the wrong job, if I marry the wrong person, if I move away from Wichita right now, it could be dangerous to me. And I don't know what to do, and we become paralyzed wondering what to do. So we've talked a little bit about this. and we, Last week we talked about the necessity of prayer and talking with God and inviting his intervention in those places. And I have to tell you, in that moment with that snake, I wasn't thinking spiritual thoughts except I was absolutely grateful that God intervened. And there was probably a part of me that in that moment was intensely connected to God because I didn't know how to get out of the tall grass. And I want to tell you that at a moment when you're not quite sure which step to take, you probably have an opportunity to be intensely connected to God because you know without him it's dangerous. It's scary. This has been our path so far. One of the first things that we suggested, I suggested to you, was that when you don't know what step to take, connect with others. It is necessary that we have the encouragement of one another, that we have the guidance of one another, that we know we're not alone. And I have to tell you, I am immensely grateful that those three guys jumped up on the bridge and could see the snake kind of slithering around and were trying at least to give me guidance. If they weren't there and I walked on that snake without them there, I would have been in a lot worse shape. In the same way, connect with God's people and seek out their encouragement for you in life. Next, last week we talked about prayer. Talk to God, invite him to intervene. And I'm sure there was a part of me in that moment that just said, Lord, help this snake to die. And the Lord sent his angel and took that pocket knife out of my friend's hand and stuck the snake with it. I will give him all the glory. My friend will tell you that he was skilled. And I'll let him take some credit too. Well, today, I want to talk to you about how our lives can become purified, how we become pure, and how that changes the steps that we take. And so I want to suggest to you as we begin this that the world is in desperate need of people whose lives have been cleansed by God. We are all too familiar with the lives of people around us who are filthy, Lives that are cluttered with all kinds of things that render them incapable at best. And at worst, it renders them damaged to the point where they're going to hurt people around them. We all know about this. We see it on the news every night. Somebody whose life is filled with stuff that doesn't belong there, and so they drink too much alcohol and they drive down Kellogg and kill a couple people. People whose lives are so wounded and damaged by the other people around them that that went before them that they believe that being abusive and controlling and harming other people is a way to find self-worth. We see this all the time. 
Our lives are cluttered at times with things that the rest of the world would say is just fine, but we know it incapacitates us. We become fearful of doing things because we dream up these worst-case scenarios, and we don't go there with God. And so we allow fear and indecision to be resident in our lives. Our lives are cluttered with bad habits where we've been doing things, we've been doing them for a long time. We don't, maybe don't even remember why we started doing them, but this is my habit and I don't know how to do it any other way and that limits me. It limits what I'm able to do in life. Or I've had habits that have been a part of my life for so long that they have impacted my body physically, they've impacted my heart and my emotions, and so I cannot get up and do things the way other people can. I am not able to engage others the way strong people do. I recently heard a story from a friend of mine who told about how they encountered a stranger and just trying to be friendly said hey how are you doing buddy and the guy just turned around and cursed at him and he goes where did that come from why in the world is he treating me that way and all I can tell you is that guy's life is cluttered with some kind of filth if a stranger greets you and all you can do is curse them back there are a lot of bad things that have been put into that life And most of the bad things in our lives, we have to admit, we put there ourselves. We put them there ourselves. Or at the very least, we opened the path and allowed them to come in. The world is tired of people whose lives are filthy. And they look for someone who seems different and would render some hope, who would give some hope. The world needs people whose lives are cleansed by God. The trouble is, I think, that many of God's people don't really stand out as those whose lives are somehow changed or different. There are a lot of people who talk about Jesus. There are a lot of people who go to church. There are a lot of people who do things, but their lives are rather unremarkable when you look at them and the background of the world around them. They just don't stand out that much. They just kind of fade into the background. They look like everybody else. I own a white Chevy Impala. You cannot find, I don't think, a more bland, common American car. Frequently, when I leave Walmart or I walk out of Target... I can find at least one other car that looks virtually identical to mine. And I can blend in when I'm in that car. You will not notice me. It's not bright green. It's not fire engine red. It's not fast. It's not sporty. It's not impressive. It is vanilla. It's just plain. And I do not stand out. But occasionally, we'll be going down the road, and I'll see a car going the other way, and I'll go, wow, look at that. Whether it's a really expensive sports car that I will never afford, nor would I want to insure, or whether it's an old car that's been lovingly cared for and restored, or whether it's something rare that you don't see much anymore, it just seems to stand out. A couple of years ago, I was driving north out of 
Wichita, down some country roads, and I went through a little town north of us here, and it was during the wintertime, and all the leaves had fallen from the trees, and I was going to meet up with some family, and so you could see, you know, uh, you could see in Kansas the wintertime when there's unobstructed views, and I came, as I was coming on the outskirts of this town, the leaves had fallen, and in between a couple of trees were parked some old pickup trucks. You know the way farmers do when they decide they don't trade in their pickup trucks? They just push them out into a pasture or let them sit there until the tires rot off of them and they sink into the ground. Well, it was kind of like that. But there's these two old pickup trucks sitting in these trees. And I had never noticed them before because during the summertime, the leaves and the foliage covered them up. But as I was driving by, here were these two Ford pickup trucks. And these are old 1950s to early 1960s Dodge Power Wagons. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's fine. But these are pickup trucks that look like nothing else out there. They were very uniquely built. And they have a bit of a reputation for being very durable, kind of military-looking old pickup trucks. And as soon as I saw them, I slowed down. I hit the brakes. I'm glad there was no one behind me to rear-end me. But I slowed down, and I looked, and I saw, I counted, there's two of them, and they, they were a little bit different, and I'm not really good on years with this model, but I, I stopped and got my attention. I was like, wow, look at that. Somebody put those away, kept them, held on to them. And ever since then, when I go by, now I go by there frequently because I drive up to see my mom in the nursing home and I go right by there. But during the summer, they're completely clothed and camouflaged in leaves. And when I drive by, I go, there's two Dodge Power Wagons back there. And what I wish is that we as Christians stood out, that we were so unique, so different, so rare and valuable. That when the rest of the world encounters us, they'll say, I met somebody incredible there. And every time they go by that place again, they'll go, that's where I saw him or her. That's where I had that conversation. And I cannot get away from it. The trouble is, most of us who say we love Jesus, who go to church, don't look any different to the world around us. There's just no difference. And when we're no different than the world around us, we're not worth much of a remark. But if you were to ride with me this afternoon, we could drive north out of town, and I would point it out to you, and I'd go, that's where those rare, wonderful old pickup trucks sit. In Scripture, we're told that we as Christians should emulate, we should look like salt and light. But we're told that when the salt loses its saltiness, it's thrown out. It's just discarded. It's, you don't even pay attention to it anymore. It has no redeeming value. It doesn't bring any difference. Or there's light that just diminishes and sinks back to just like a little candle. And it might be a light, but it's not light that's good enough to see to do any work or walk down a path. And there's a reason why then the world thinks Christians, so what? They don't make any difference. They're just like the rest of us. In the first letter from John, chapter 3, he says this about those of us who follow Jesus. See what kind of love the Father has given to us and that we should be called God's children. 
And that is what we are. Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Dear friends, now we are God's children, and it hasn't yet appeared what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And all, of, and all who have this hope in him purify themselves even as he is pure. See, I told you we we're going to talk about purity here. Every person who practices sin commits an act of rebellion, and sin is rebellion. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Every person who remains in relationship to him does not sin, and any person who sins has not seen him or known him. Now John speaks in rather extreme language here. Rather binary language where if you sin, you're not in him, but if you're in him, you don't sin. And, and yet we go back to this piece where he goes, you know, those who are in him, who have experienced his love, who are his children, they purify themselves. And it seems like he's saying things that kind of run counter or contradict what we know about the work of Jesus. Jesus did this. We were just reminded that it was his blood, his body that was broken and shed, and he did that for us because we couldn't do it. It was beyond us. It would have destroyed us. This is all about the grace of God, not the ability of me. Well, I would suggest to you that as we think about our spiritual lives with God, it's a little bit of both and. You know, the difference between both and and either or. Either or means it's going to be this way or that way. It cannot be both. It is either going to be hot today or it's going to be cold today. Or in Kansas, it's possible it could be both. It's both and. This time of year, instead of being 100 degrees outside, you get up in the morning and need a jacket. By the afternoon, t-shirts are just fine. And we get three more days of that, right? So this either or, it's black, it's white. It's this way or it's that way. It's neither both. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. That's one of my favorite ones. You're not kind of pregnant. We had a friend years ago that got up. We were at a camp out together. We were around the f- a fire and someone said, hey, John, do you have something to announce? And he goes, well, yeah, I guess I'm kind of sort of engaged. <laughs> and I looked around and I said, I'm glad she's not here tonight. Because she would not be into this gray area of are we engaged or not we engaged. We are engaged. We're going to get married. And I said, you need to figure that out, buddy. (laughs) Quick. But with spirituality, with God, I don't think it's just either God changes me or I go to hell. Either God makes me a better person or I stay the same way that I am, broken and filthy. But it's a both and. Where God is at work all the time, then the work of God is going on in us, it's going on around us all the time. We tend to neglect that and we get desperate and we wring our hands and we go, this world is becoming a worse place and you know people are worse than they ever were before and we worry about that and I just want to interrupt that thought and say to you and suggest to you that God is as powerfully at work right now in the world and in your life as he has been at any time in history. 
God is at work. Let's not forget that. That runs before anything we do. That is a prerequisite. It's a a predecessor to any response we have to him. God is at work, and the work of God is to reconcile us and the world to himself. That's what scripture tells us. And he is doing that work. So we've got the first element there, but it's both and. There is a possibility of cooperating with God. This year, our men have adopted this theme throughout 2019. And our theme was, we are rebellious by nature. And the reminder to me has been this very thing. I can either cooperate with God or I can rebel against God. And I have choices to make in that. And in that sense, God is operative, he is operating, but I get to be cooperative with him and I can make decisions that work with him so that the gears mesh, so that we draw close and I am not shaking my fist at him every morning, but instead changing to become a kind of person who says, okay, God, what are we going to do together today? We have the chance to be cooperative with God. And not only with God, we have the chance to be cooperating with God in one another. That things that God is at work at in me might be similar to things that God is doing in you and around us. And we might go, you know what, if we do this together, if we walk this road together, we might get stronger and we will be saved. Going back to that story I told at the beginning, not knowing which way to take a step, the idea that I was frozen there and I was totally at the mercy of these three guys who were yelling instructions at me up on the, up on the bridge and then drew weapons. But I will tell you, they had all of my attention. And when they said, stop, I stopped. I was highly motivated to cooperate. Oh, if only we as Christians would be the same way that when someone around us comes up and says, the Lord impressed on me, but we don't have that, do we? Not very often. Or someone that comes along and says, I've noticed you struggling. How can I walk with you? But that's rare, isn't it? It's like finding that rare 1960s Dodge stuck back in the trees. But once you find it, you don't forget it. And you're drawn back to it again and again. And we go back. When we find these relationships, not only in God, but through God with others, we go, I know I can go back and I can count on this. So this is the way cooperative grace works. God is doing his part. We may not be aware of it. We may not always appreciate it. We certainly don't always understand it, but God is doing his part. We've been talking about church finances here lately, and we're going to talk more because we're at the end of the year, and it's time to build a budget for the next year and to think about what we can and cannot do and how we should and should not do it. And at this time of year, we, we tend to wring our hands and say, well, you know, you guys just aren't doing your part, but let me tell you, God is doing his part, and he's doing his part through you. And I may not always appreciate how that works right now if you're in a a place of being in financial constriction, that makes sense to me. And 
you deal with that and let God walk you through it. And God will walk us through this as a church. This is what he does. And there are times when our marriages just aren't as filled with joy and happiness and romance as we'd like them to be. But we go, you know what, Lord, help me to grow and become a better spouse. Help me to figure out the things in my life that affect and hurt the one I love. There are times when we're parenting when you go, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that to my kids. And I said it in front of the pastor. And you just go, you know what? God is at work here. God is at work, and what is the work he is doing, and how do we move toward that? What's our part? What about what we get to do to cooperate with God? What about us saying, Lord, we know where you're going. We're going to go with you. I love this, where we can look in Scripture, we can see where people responded to God, where where Jesus reached out and people reached back. And so, like fishermen that were out on a boat catching and cleaning smelly fish, when God said, follow me. And in a crazy moment, walked away from their livelihood and said, okay, let's go. Or one that we read about earlier, that there was a tax collector up in a tree who had climbed up there to maybe get a glimpse of Jesus and everybody hated him because he was a tool of the enemy. He was part of the occupation of the Romans. And yet Jesus walks by and goes, Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come down, I want to go to your house. And Zacchaeus could have looked around and, I'm not Zacchaeus, but no. He responded. He got down out of the tree and took Jesus to his house. All through scripture we see people who are given the choice and the opportunity to respond to God or rebel against him. And for some of us, it may just be a simple, small step of cooperation with God to start. It's a little thing, but I will do a little thing with God and a little thing will lead to another little thing and that will lead to another little thing and soon we'll have made up a lot of distance. And so I challenge you, to be cooperative with God as we say, okay, Lord, let's move the filth out. Let's clean this up. Some of it's going to require that divine intervention. Some of it's going to require some hard work. But we will do this together, Lord. I want to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing in closing a very short song. And then Pastor Stephanie will come and pray with us.